This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. In a dystopian future, London lumbers around the world, devouring other civilizations. Wait a second, I thought this was a fantasy film. It's Mortal Engines, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to this film's lit podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. Took a little bit of a hiatus, but we're back with the main episode. If you missed our prequel episode, you can go back and listen to that, where we previewed Mortal Engines and learned a little bit about steampunk. A little bit of a deep dive on the old steampunk. Mm, it was, I don't know a if I call it a middle depth medium. dive <laughs> on the old steampunk. <laughs> a dipped our toe in the shallow yeah. end of steampunk. We waited a little. <laughs> we waited into steampunk, yes. <laughs> uh, but you can go ahead and check that out if you missed it. Uh, if not, that's fine, too. We have, I think pretty much all of our segments today mm-hmm. so let's start with let me sum up let me explain no there is too much let me sum up i know we didn't write this down but we usually no, do this i can just do the movie for people and then we can talk about how different the book is yeah. where it is different just if so spoilers abound but if you haven't seen mortal engines or if you haven't seen it recently and you don't recall what happens let me give you a little brief rundown I think it'll be pretty easy to sum up in general because there's not it's a lot of things happen, but the plot is fairly simplistic. Uh, it's the future. At one point in the past, a world war broke out, and essentially the entire the world nuked. Is not that uh, they call them quantum bombs? I believe mm-hmm. quantum bombed each other into into uh, n- uh, non-existence, basically. Uh, but then a bunch of civiliza- civilizations reemerged from the ashes of the old world. Uh, most of them, or some of them, are these roaming cities on wheels. They're like giant... Uh, if you were joined us for our Howl's Moving Castle episode, imagine kind of Howl's Moving Castle, except bigger, and uh, like the size of a city. And they drive around, uh, and they bigger cities eat smaller cities. And by eat them, they bring them in, they capture them, uh, they absorb all their residents, and then they use all the resources to keep their city running is what it seems like in the film. There is also uh, a section of the world behind a wall that is static cities where it's people who aren't part of these moving cities. Our main character is Hester Shaw, who we find out eventually... um, there's a lot going on with her, but she is on, at the beginning of the movie, she's on a city that is captured by London, which is one of the biggest cities, moving cities in the in, in the world that we know of. She's captured her, the city is captured, she gets on the ship, and we are introduced to Hugo Weaving's character, uh, Valentine, who is not the mayor of the city, but is some, one of the higher up something. He's the head of energy, secretary of energy or something like that, I believe is his title, uh, and she immediately tries to kill him. Uh, and we don't know why yet. Uh, and this sparks a an intriguing mystery as one of our other main characters, Tom Nook, sees this and stops her. 
But then she tells Nook, hey, Valentine isn't what you think. They both get kicked off the ship uh, by Valentine. And now they're on the run to survive. A lot of hijinks happen. She gets chased around by her old parental robot unit uh, named Shrike, who is trying to kill her. Uh, they meet up with some people who are part of the sort of the, the static city group, uh, some rebels kind of, who are doing their own thing. Uh, they realize eventually that Valentine, Hugo Weaving's character, has been collecting all of these old world military tech items to create a super weapon that he's going to use to destroy the wall that separates or that is keeping all of the static cities safe. So they travel to that area. They, uh, and then they fight, uh, the London as it comes to attack their wall. The wall is almost destroyed mostly, but at the last minute, the weapon is stopped by, uh, Hester Shaw and this saves the day. Hugo Weaving's character seems to die, but it's a little vague left in the movie in case there was a sequel potentially, but he probably died. Uh, some other characters die. Most of them live happy ending, uh, the wall is broken down, but, um, and then the London residents that, you know, were just in the city are accepted with open arms by the residents of the wall city, the static city area. And that's the happy ending of the film. That's most of the details of what goes on here. We'll get it. Or most mm-hmm. of the broad strokes of what goes on here. We'll get into the details, but before we do that, we have the game show section of this film is lit where we play. Guess who? Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. So we have several entries. Yeah, quite for a guess few. Guess who? I love young adult books because they just describe everyone. There are lots of descriptions. It's amazing. Yep. I, I think you'll get most of these. I don't think this is going to be hard. Okay. He was a tall, handsome man of nearly 40 with a mane of silver-flecked black hair and a trim black beard. His gray mariner's eyes twinkled with humor. Okay, uh, nearly 40 makes him one of the older characters in the movie. Uh, Tall, handsome, has a beard and silver-flecked hair. I'm leaning towards Hugo Weaving's character, Valentine. Valentine. Uh, His eyes twinkling with humor. I could also see because... Valentine's character in the film has uh, presents in the beginning of the film presents as more of a a nicer character than he is revealed to be. So I could see that being in the initial description and it's sort of unearthed that he's actually sort of a, has a darker side. And so I'm trying to think of any other older characters that this could be that have beards and I can't think of anybody. He's like the main one that sticks out to me. So I'm going to say that that's Valentine, the older Valentine. Well, obviously the, the dad, the uh, uh, Thaddeus, Thaddeus yeah. Valentine. Cause his daughter is in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is Valentine. Thaddeus okay. Valentine. So you got that one, right? Woohoo. The only other customer was a sinister-looking woman in a long red leather coat who sat in the shadows near the bar. In spite of the dark, she wore sunglasses, the tiny lenses black as the wing cases of beetles. Well, that one's spot on. A uh, sinister-looking woman uh, with the long leather red coat uh, and, the, and the, the little black sunglasses. That would be Sarah. I think it's Sarah? Anna Fang. Anna Fang. Anna yeah. Fang. 
who is like the wanted fugitive, mm-hmm. the badass fugitive that they meet up with towards the middle of the film. Yes, the anti-tractionist. Yes, she's part of the, yeah, one yeah. of the anti-tractionists. All right, moving on. She had a lot of long, dark hair, and her father's gray eyes, and the same quick, dazzling smile, and she was dressed in the narrow silk trousers and flowing tunic that were all the rage in High London that summer. That would very clearly... Now, in the movie, she has blonde hair, Yeah, this character, but that is definitely... Cat Valentine, Catherine Valentine. Catherine Valentine. They, I think call, they call her, her cat. They call her Kate, Kate, Kate in the book. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that that would be Kate Valentine. Yes. Yeah. She's uh, part of High London. She's the upper class. Uh, she, like I said, she does have blonde hair in the movie and not dark hair. Mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, pretty easy. It was seven feet tall, and beneath its coat shone metal armor. The flesh of its long face was pale glistening with a slug-like film of mucus, and here and there a blue-white jag of bone showed through the skin. Its mouth was a lot of was a lot full of metal teeth. Its nose and the top of its head were covered by a long metal skull piece with tubes and flexes trailing down like dreadlocks, their ends plugged into ports on its chest. Its round glass eyes gave it a startled look, as if it had never gotten over the horrible surprise of what had happened to it. Uh, that very clearly Shriek, Shrike, 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 uh, the character who ends up raising Hester Shaw mm-hmm. uh, in the film. Um, pretty similar. Uh, the one thing that I think stuck out to me the most is uh, is the um, the round glass eyes giving it a startled look. Yeah. The, the one in the movie definitely has that sort of wide-eyed look the whole film the one thing it doesn't have in this main thing it doesn't have in this description is the uh the the hoses yeah coming down into its chest that kind of look like dreads but that like connect to its chest which could have been cool looking yeah but yeah they didn't they chose not to do that one he was unexpectedly handsome with big dark eyes and a small perfect mouth well we're running out of characters here that i would think would get a mention so i'm gonna assume that that is tom i can't remember his last name tom's last name is natsworthy natsworthy but it's not tom it's bevis who's (laughs) the boy that the story forgot oh his mechanic friend guy yeah like the guy like the the guy who was hanging out with with kate for a while yeah and who was who uh tom was friends with in the beginning like he bumps into him in the yeah. sewer, and he seems to know him. Yeah. And Kate doesn't, or he he's like doesn't seem to like Kate because she's like you know upper class, and he's like a poor, mm-hmm. living in the belly of the machine kind of guy. So, okay, Bevis. I did not know that was his name. I think I knew everybody else's name for the most part, but mm-hmm. oof, Bevis was not. Don't recall <laughs> that one. And you're right. The movie does kind of forget about him. Yeah. So you're gonna know who this is, but I want you to let me get through the whole description. Okay. She was no older than Tom, and she was hideous. A terrible scar ran across her face from forehead to jaw, making it look like a portrait that had been furiously crossed out. Her mouth was wrenched sideways in a permanent sneer, her nose was a smashed stump, and her single eye stared at him out of the wreckage. Well, that is clearly Hester Shaw. Mm Mm-hmm. But also clearly not, <laughs> <Sir Sean. laughs> yeah. Uh, and I had heard this criticism of the film 
uh, from even like one of the early trailers, people had been upset. Fans of the book had been upset that it was uh, so different. Yeah. That they kind of uh, gave her a very like handsome scar and yeah. kind of ignored the fact that she's like completely wrecked. Yeah, she's when, pretty destroyed. Yeah. Like she's missing an eye. Yeah, and her mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they were like, ah, you got a scar, so that's good enough. I'm sure they have very, very good reasons. <laughs> and by good, I'm saying that with giant air quotes. Good reasons. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's interesting that they would make the choice to to change that so much because I'm sure it has very kind of important thematic implications for her character. Yeah, I mean, and that, yeah, it does. And not only that, but it's. It's pretty ballsy to make your heroine ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of disappointing that the movie didn't follow through with with that kind of a chutzpah. Yeah, I, I didn't see anything about this, like in terms of them explaining why they would have made that change. Or I again, I didn't find what if you were listening to our prequel episode, you know, I didn't find a lot of like details about the production of this film or anything. So I would be interested to hear like the filmmakers explain why they made that change i mean i feel was, like we know why yeah i mean sure <laughs> the, the marketing of just a you know a pretty face sure but like still seems interesting to me that especially interesting to me that because they have her wear that scarf over her face which i assume her character does too probably at yes. least a fair yeah. amount it seems like they could have left they could have had a. Uh, they could have had both almost. They could have if she would have covered her face with the scarf for most of it, and, and they left the top half of her face sort of less um, injured and damaged, mm-hmm. and like so maybe it looks more like it does in the film, but then stuck more to the what the book did in terms of like her mouth being like extremely disfigured and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that it. So that it was almost this like her hiding that part of her and that sort of thing, which she still kind of is with the with the face mask. But they because then when she pulls it down, it's like not any worse in the film than than the top half of her face, because it's just the same kind of like light scar that goes all the way across. And not that you, you know, plenty of people who don't have scars or anything are very (laughs) are very self-conscious about how they look. So there's no like right or wrong answer here for how the character should feel. I'm just saying that it seems like they could have done that yeah with, no, I, while yeah. still while still being maintaining for their like marketing a face on the poster they're like ooh, that's a pretty girl on the poster which is a weird I, they shouldn't have done that but i'm just saying <laughs> like i feel like they could have had their cake and eaten it too and it's weird to me that they didn't i guess is yeah. my point no i agree i agree all right so that was what seven of six of them six of them and i got five so not too yeah, bad. You did a good job. Not too bad. Uh, Tom wasn't in there. There's no description. No description of Tom. Tom. No. Is it from his point of view in the book? Um. Or is it? I don't know what how the like what the point of view. The is. the book kind of. It's like a it's a third person limited. Okay. But it goes back and forth between Tom and Kate. Oh, Tom and Kate. Yeah. Interesting. So Hester is. I guess it is the movie is also kind of Tom is the main character and it does mm-hmm. go back and forth between Tom and Kate at times in the film. Yeah. But I would say that Hester is a more Well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I think the movie kind of does the same thing. There're the only two that we're like always with. Mhm. We're never with Hester when she's not with Tom. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. But we are with Kate when she's not with Tom. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that we get is we get flashbacks of Kate's past or of Hester's past. Right. But th- they kind of had to do that. Yeah. I, I would think. I mean, they could have done it differently, but they, <laughs> the way they chose to tell the story, they kind of had to do flashbacks. So, yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. Cool. That was it for Guess Who? Let's get into the big important questions and find out, was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. What? Honestly, don't you two read? All right, so we've established the setting of this book in the prequel and of the movie is that it is originally the idea was that it was going to be like sort of contemporary or like very near future or something like that. It was supposed to be set originally like. It was going to be like an alternate yeah history version like of the current time right but they changed uh, the author changed that and made it like do you remember what year it is it's like I it's know. hundreds of yeah, years in the future like, like thousands of years if not in the thousands future, yeah, yeah. It, 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 i think it was close to like 3000 mm-hmm. ad uh or ade uh and so is it ade yeah um no <laughs> i don't know it's bce and a is it ad it doesn't matter now it's going to drive me crazy that I can't remember what the... It <laughs> doesn't matter. So it's like 3,000-something, and it, so it's thou- hundreds and hundreds of years after modern time, quote-unquote. And in the movie, there's this moment where we're introduced to Tom's character, and we find out he works in the museum, in in the London Museum, basically. He's like... some He does something there. I, I never figured out exactly what he was doing. But he works for the London Museum, and then they go through the museum where we're introduced to his character, and they bump into... Uh, somebody looking at a oh uh, one of the main one of the other characters like the the curator of the museum uh, because of all the shaking during this chase that's going on says oh oh no the American deities and then they run over to secure them to make sure they don't fall and break and in the film the camera pans over and it's two minion statues mm-hmm. and God you know hey it's it's there it's it's a yeah it's a thing so. <laughs> <laughs> is that I'm assuming now I know this book was written in what the like, 80s or, 90, um, or 90s early 2000s early 2000s published. so the minions weren't a thing at the yeah. point when this was written is that moment in the book and if so what are the American deities that we get um yes actually there is a similar joke in the book there's a mention early on when they're in the museum of an ancient American deity Mickey Mouse Okay, so obviously they had to change it because this movie wasn't produced by Disney. Yeah. So they couldn't use Mickey Mouse. So they came up with something they probably owned. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Universal owns. I think this was Universal. Yeah, Universal. That, and they yeah, own, yeah, 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 Minions. And they own the Minions. So there you go. It makes sense that, that would, they would make that change. Uh, it's not going to age well. The no. same way that Mickey Mouse would. Yeah. But I get it. <laughs> if you can't use Mickey Mouse, I get it. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question, and we find out in the movie that Tom has been collecting. So part of his 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 he's a collector of old world tech, uh, and one of the th- he likes old world tech in general. But one of the things he's doing is that he's stowing away old world weapons that he finds that he because he realizes that somebody on the ship is collecting them and he's worried they're going to use them. So he has been simultaneously stowing away old world weapons so that he can get rid of them because he doesn't want them used because he. 
he knows enough about the history that using these weapons would be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that's go- is that a plot line in the book? No. Okay. Tom is not stockpiling old world tech. Okay. Weapons. Does he work in the museum? Yes. The- okay. Yeah. And a similar type of character. Yeah. Um. So in this universe, you get like an apprenticeship to there are like a handful of guilds. Yeah. And so he's an apprentice to the historians guild. Gotcha. He works in the museum. Okay. Cool. So, uh, I like this a lot in the movie. This movie started stronger for me and then kind of slowly got worse and worse and worse. And I, not to spoil my overall review, I overall enjoyed this film as a whole. It it has its faults. It's not a great movie or even maybe a good movie, but I enjoyed it in general. Uh, But it definitely got worse as it went. Um, What I really liked in the beginning was that we sort of jump right in to to Hester's storyline sort of in media res without any backstory about who she is she's on this she's on the the little Bavarian mining city or whatever they say mm-hmm. that's driving around that gets captured by London and then when she gets into London they're like being all the residents from the city are being on board you know uh, immig- being put through uh, immigration or whatever into London and uh Hugo Weaving's character Valentine has come down to like oversee this process and she sees him and immediately goes after him to try to assassinate him with the knife she's hiding and she does she st- well she doesn't assassinate him but she stabs him and says like this is for my mother and we're like what wow had no idea what was going on or why she wanted to do this and I really liked that hook in the movie of trying to then figure out what is going on um, is that how the book plays out or do we get her backstory first it kind of Similar-ish. The book starts with Tom in London. Okay. So we don't, like, start with Hester on the other city. Right. Um, we also, sign, in the movie, also starts with Tom in London. Yeah. We're kind of simultaneously. We're going back and forth, I guess, yeah. in the in the movie. Um, but Hester is introduced, like, at the moment that she attempts to assassinate yeah. Valentine. Gotcha. Um, so we don't, like, see her, like, sneaking in and going through the line or anything like okay. that. Um, and we find out her backstory throughout the book. Kind Similar. of similarly to how it is in the movie. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's it's basically the same kind of thing because I I just really liked that, and I assumed that was how it worked. It, it, and I, it was funny. It's funny though. I guess part of what uh, sort of tricked me about this movie going in is that the marketing and all of the marketing and trailers and stuff for the movie, I absolutely assumed she was like our main character, mm-hmm. and she's not really. Yeah. Like Tom is kind of the main character. I mean, they're they're both like quote unquote main characters but like tom is is the audience sort of pov character like you said in the book it's it's sort of third person limited from his perspective yeah and it's similar in the movie to where we we're not following her the whole time we 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 do kind of eventually when they meet up and are together from there on out but i guess i thought we were going to be like learning more about her when I watched the trailer, like I don't even think I knew that Tom's character was in the movie from watching the trailer. Yeah. Like she's the only person they show. Yeah. And I'm sure that was a very specific marketing choice because she's a more intriguing looking character than Tom. It, like Tom's just like some dude, like mm-hmm. a handsome dude, but just some dude <laughs> uh, where she's got, you know, the scarf and the scar and like she, she's doing badass stuff. And so she's like easy to like put in your trailer and. And sell your movie on, but it is interesting because it's not what I was expecting, sort of the direction the film went. Hmm. Yeah. Based on, again, the couple trailers that I saw. All right, cool. Uh, after 
uh, Hester Shaw runs away. There's a big chase scene after she stabs Valentine. She gets away. She's running, running, and Tom chases after her because at this point Tom uh, really respects Valentine and he, he he thinks like the world of him. He's really impressed by him. And so after he sees her stab him, uh, he ch- tries to chase her down. And they get to this like trash chute basically that leads out of the out of London, or at least it appears to. It, it does. We find out. And she tries to jump, and he catches her. And as she's falling, and she's like, let go of me. And he's like, no. And she sa- she basically says, like, he's not what you think he is. Ask him about Hester Shaw. And then she falls. And he's like, what? And I thought that was another great... Th- that This whole intro- opening sequence to me, I thought was really good. Uh, is that what happens in the book? Does she tell him, ask him about Hester Shaw? Yeah, basically. Um, the exact line in the book is, ask him what he did to Hester Shaw. But yeah, it plays out. I think that's a better line, way. honestly. Then ask him about Hester Shaw, which maybe that's what it mm-hmm. says in the movie. I can't. I just kind of wrote it down. I'm not sure I got it exactly right, but I was into it. I thought that was a good hook. Cool. So the book does the same thing. It's sounding to me like, because especially based on what I know of your notes later, that maybe this mo- movie started more similar to the book and then sort of slowly yeah, kind of went off course. Say that that's accurate. Which is interesting because that's also when it was doing more. Because based on my my sort of mini review earlier. I started. I, I enjoyed the movie more in the beginning, and it sort of slowly mm-hmm. lost its some of its luster for me as it veered more from the book, which is interesting. It makes sense. Uh, and then, so after that happens, Tom immediately confronts Valentine and is like, "What's up with Hester Shaw?" She says, "You know, to ask about her," and he's like, "Oh, that's too bad." And then drop kicks <laughs> Tom <laughs> off the boat as, or off the ship as well. Uh, is that what he does in the book? Uh, yeah. Okay. And that leads to them meeting up and mm-hmm. and going on their little adventure together. Cool. Uh, so then we find out that there's a whole like world or continent or we don't have one of the bigger problems in the movie. And we'll talk about it later is that we don't really ever get sort of a a bigger uh, idea of what's going on is sort of with the, the geopolitics of the world. Not that we needed a bunch of it, but like. Or, or even like the geography of the world, but we find out that there's people living behind this big wall who are static city people who don't live in big roaming cities. Is that that's what's going on in the book? Are there like two sort of separate? Yeah, two. It's like two kind of factions, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Separated by a wall, and there's yeah. Okay. So the implication in the book and in the movie, I guess, is that the wall is like blocking off like the east yeah kind of vaguely yeah yeah and then europe is just like a wasteland with these big traction cities roaming around okay i assumed that was probably the same because i figured at least in general that plot of them trying to destroy the wall and get Mm -hmm. over there to like conquer it (laughs) to colonize it was probably what was gonna what was going on but yeah uh, so after they they fall off the ship, they're now on their little uh, fun camping trip together, Tom and Hester. And she she's hungry, so she pulls out a snack and she has Twinkies. Uh, so they pull off a Twinkie joke uh, where she's eating Twinkies from, and their expiration date is like the year twenty three hundred. Yeah. Uh, which, depending on when this is, could be hundreds of years old. But he's like, "Wow, aren't these bad?" And she goes, "No, they're the old uh, old." 
the food of the ancients. The food of the ancients never goes bad or something like that. Yeah. Uh, is that happen in the book? No, that's not in the no book. No Twinkie joke? No Twinkie joke. Twinkies go bad, people. You can't eat Twinkies <laughs> forever. I think she calls them Inkies, too. She does. Like, I guess maybe the TW yeah, was, the... like, rubbed off or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, she does call them Inkies. But, yeah. Uh, Twinkie joke. <laughs> Twinkies go bad. It's not a good joke. Why is it always Twinkies? Is there something to it's that? It's because they're highly processed and like... I mean, so is everything. So a lot of stuff I is. I mean, I'm off topic here. I'm just wondering if there's like a specific... I think it's because they do last quite a while. Um, but the, but yeah, I don't know what it is specifically about Twinkie. There was probably some marketing thing or... or yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe somebody like like anti-marketing campaign or something. Um, like yeah, maybe I'm like whoever if, like... If there was something similar to that. Remember the whole thing that went around about like... Oh, I left this McDonald's yeah. hamburger for a year. Yeah, I wonder if same. Little Debbie was like going, like starting rumors about how <laughs> Twinkies never go bad because they're, you know, made yeah. with so many. Actually, um, uh, Burger King just brought that back up again. Their new. Gosh. Well, they did. They have a new ad out about the, it, their ad is literally just a shot of a Whopper and then it, it, the camera sits on it for a month and then it, it gets all moldy. Yeah. And they're like, it's made with all natural ingredients. So it gets moldy like a burger should or whatever. I just want to. It's not people. The reason that a McDonald's burger doesn't get moldy has nothing to do with the fact that it's like made out of things you shouldn't eat. It has to do with the salt. I mean, it's made out of things you shouldn't eat a lot of because it's got a lot of salt in it. But when you got a lot of salt and it like dehydrates, it won't grow mold. That's what happens. And if you science, if you'll notice, it's always like a plain burger in those pictures and fries. It's never like a burger with lettuce and tomato and (laughs) like all kinds of stuff that will go bad. It's always like, oh, I left this cheeseburger, plain cheeseburger. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, don't get me going on that. All right, what do we have next here? Uh, the centipede ship. They seem fun. Uh, our main our main characters are running away from some uh, the Southies, I think they call them, mm-hmm. that are like these like human hunter. They're hunting people or whatever, and they're running, and then they fall through a hole in the ground, and they end up in this crazy cool centipede ship that has like sections and it crawls away, and it, like can like burrow into the ground. I guess mm-hmm. is that. Um, they do get picked up by a similar-ish couple of people. Yeah. Um, but it's not shaped like a centipede. It's just like a regular little town. Okay, so that was just a movie design choice yeah. to have a different thing. Yeah, it's fun. I like when yeah. movies do stuff like that, kind of add you know a spin on something. Mm-hmm. Does Hugo Weaving unleash a giant crazy Terminator zombie that wants to kill Hester? Uh, yes, he does. At this point, we didn't know anything about this character, so I was just like, it's just some crazy Terminator that wants to kill Hester. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> right on, dude. Uh, this is a fun scene. So later, they're now running from Shrike. After, uh, this is after Anna Fang has purchased... Uh, well, She saves attempted, them from yeah, they're, told, they're, sold into slavery. Uh, the couple in the centipede monster was going to sell them into slavery. Uh, and Anna Fang shows up and offers to buy them. But then they're like, well, we're not going to sell them to you because we could just take you and turn you in for the bounty so then she murders everybody yeah does that happen in the book um, or a similar thing <laughs> i didn't ask about this but i didn't have a note about it not really she okay. she does help them get away when they're um gonna be sold into slavery but it's not like a she doesn't just murder everyone okay. <laughs> in a big fight boo better in the movie <laughs> 
Uh, so as they're getting away, Shrike shows up, and Tom is left behind, and then Hester throws him a rope because they're on a Anna Fang fly, uh, has like a flying, mm-hmm. like kind of like a zeppelin. She's plane an aviatrix. Thing. Yeah, an aviatrix. She's a cool zeppelin plane thingy, uh, and they're flying away, and Hester's on it, and Tom is trapped behind, and Shrike's coming for him, and she throws him a rope, and he starts climbing it, but then Shrike grabs it and is gonna pull down the plane they're on. It's a cool scene, and. Uh, Fang slides Hester a knife and is like, cut the rope loose or we're going to die. Leave him. And instead, Hester drops the knife so that Tom can catch it and save himself. And it's a, you know, big epic moment. Mm -hmm. Is that from the book? No. Do they just get away? Yeah, they just get away. Okay. No big, like, Shrike almost pulling the plane down. (laughs) Boo. Boo. Better in the movie. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) It was a little silly, but. Because it's a heck of a catch he made there. Was Hester... So we find out, ultimately, that Hester was found and raised by Shrike after her mother died, uh, which we know at this point her mother was killed by Valentine. Um, And then he wounded her. She ran away. And then she was in the wasteland, or whatever they call it. And so she ended up being raised by Shrike, who is this, like, crazy, heartless demon robot thing, which it's very complicated, and maybe we'll talk about more. Um... And then uh, the reason now we find out that Shrike is hunting her down is that she was always sad and she promised he was like, I can make you not sad. You just turn into a robot like me. And she was like, "Okay, yes, I promise I'll become a robot like you. And then she runs away. She leaves because she finds out Valentine is nearby and she wants to go kill Valentine. And he's very upset that she didn't he didn't get to turn her into a robot. Uh, there's ultimately, I think I'll talk about it later. I have notes about it. I think there's some, int- I really like their storyline. I think it's like the strongest thing in the movie. I think they could have spent more time on it even than they do. Um, or at least the most interesting sort of B plot in the movie. But, uh, is that why, is that what's going on in the movie? Is that why Shrike's after her? What's the, what's their deal? Um, so she was raised by Shrike. She didn't promise him that she would become a stalker, which is what they call what he is yeah they say that in the movie too yeah Um, but that is what he wants and it's ultimately why he's chasing her down um is because he wants her to also become a stalker so that they can have adventures together forever i think that makes sense it's similar like because the note i have about it later uh, when we get to odds and ends that i just kind of want to talk about some of the sort of thematic things going on I think that is an interesting idea. Uh, I think it's a similar in it's similar in the movie. They just add the wrinkle of like her promising that she would, which is eh, I could take or leave based on mm-hmm. what you're saying about the book version of it, because I think either way, the same sort of message works mm-hmm. uh, again. We'll, we'll I'll talk about it later, but the sort of message about uh, parents and expectations and 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 sort of uh, letting go of your children, that sort of thing. So I think it's well done in both the, in the movie and it sounds like in the book. Um I think the thing that I thought was interesting about having him say you broke your promise is what because I thought it was going to be something completely different. I like the movie does this at least it kind of it it throws almost like a red herring out because what I thought when he says uh, she made a promise and then I was like, ooh, because this guy I thought would have been fun, too, is that uh, her promise like he raises her. And somehow he knows that she she like he can't because he like resurrects or something like he can't be killed. Like almost or something no, like No, he can be. He just is like they're ridiculously hard to kill. Okay. I guess maybe my thought was I thought it was something because they say they call him like the resurrected or something at one point in the movie. 
And I thought the idea was going to be that he literally like couldn't die by mm-hmm. people trying to kill him or something unless it was. And I thought there was going to be something like that. The promise she made was that like after he raised her is like that he, he made her promise that like she would kill him. And it's something about like there would be something special about her that would make her able to kill him. And that that was the promise that she broke was that she left because she couldn't kill him because she cared for him because he raised, you know what I mean? I thought it was going to be something like that. Yeah. And that, and then she broke that promise and now he's hunting her down because he's, he's, he doesn't want to live anymore because he's been resurrected over and over and he's like in this miserable metal body that can't feel or whatever. I thought that could have been interesting. I still like what the movie does with it, but I, I was completely sort of, my mind went a completely different direction based on the, like you made a promise line that I think is, Yeah maybe more interesting but i still mm-hmm. I like what the movie did so they call them the resurrected because um they it's like this ancient so when we meet shrike tom is like shocked because this uh the resurrected or the stalkers are like a myth basically yeah. they're like um Oh, the the ancients found a way to like resurrect their warriors and like bring them back to life. Yeah, kind of. So that's why they call them the resurrected. Okay, yeah, and that makes sense because they were he was human at one point and then he yeah. was sort of turned into this. So like that was the resurrection, quote unquote. Um, but just when they said that the first time, yeah. and then I, with the other stuff going on, I thought it was going to be that sort of interesting twist. But it's yeah, still really liked it. All right, uh, a couple more questions here. When we get towards the end of the movie, Hugo Weaving's character, Valentine, has created this giant super weapon, the Medusa weapon, in the top of London that he's going to use to destroy the wall. The mayor comes to confront him and is like, hey, man, don't do this. Uh, the mayor who we saw like in the first scene and then hadn't seen the rest of the movie until mm-hmm. like this last scene. Uh, that's a, sort of an abandoned plot line. But he shows up. And is like, this is madness or whatever. And uh, Hugo Weaving's like, no, this is Sparta, and kicks him down a hole. And <laughs> essentially, <laughs> but instead of saying this is Sparta, and the other guy saying this is madness, he goes, uh, what does he say to him? He says, uh, Hugo Weaving is like, look, this is the future. And the mayor's like, oh, the mayor's like, no, this isn't the future, and, and uh, this isn't the way we shouldn't do this. And Hugo Weaving's character says, Valentine says, well, you're a dinosaur. And the mayor says back to him, well, then what does that make you? And then Hugo Weaving shoots him and said something that I didn't understand at first, but I realized because of his accent, but I realized (laughs) later that, or after a second that he said the meteor, but he's like the meteor. Like he says it like in his Hugo Weaving, like kind of British (laughs) accent. And I was like, what did he say? The meat, meat, meat eater. Like what? (laughs) He said the meteor, like that killed the dinosaurs. I get it now, but uh, is that line from the book? No, it's not. I couldn't decide if it was good or not. I was like <laughs> I very torn on whether or not that was a good line. I thought it was kind of cringy. It's not the best line in the movie, but it's it's okay, I guess. <laughs> the meteor. I, I thought it was all right. It makes sense. Yeah. It like makes sense at least. Uh, so is Valentine's plan in the book to take down the shield wall so that he can they can colonize and and destroy everything mm-hmm. beyond it um yes that is the evil plan in the book as well okay 
Uh, does Fang have a sweet little boot knife, like, in her heel? That's not specifically mentioned. Okay. But I like to think that she did. Because that was an interesting thing in the movie, is that she has a, 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 a blade in the heel of her boot that comes out. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny, because it reminded me of Wild Wild West, because... Jim West, Will Smith's character, has that exact thing, except it's in the toe of his boot, yeah. which is much more practical. Well, that was actually a thing. The oh, shoe was knife, it? Like in the toe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, It's still not a particularly practical weapon, no. but it's cool. But you can, And you could kick somebody with yeah. it. But now she does in the movie, and I guess it's the idea is because she's so flexible that it works, because she does kick her heel all the way up backwards over her head into yeah. like a bad guy's forehead at one point. And it's just, it's such a strange choice for a it's weapon odd. that it's just like, what, why would you do that when you could just put it in the front <laughs> where it would be much more effective <laughs> and you don't have to do gymnastics to use it, but okay. Or like, why not both? Or not, yeah, why not both? I, yeah, por que no las dos? I it was, <laughs> I was like, all right, c- cool, I guess. I mean, again, it's the steampunk thing. We're kind of doing f- wacky things with, yeah gadgets because we can I, I didn't hate it i just thought it was funny so at the uh towards the end hester confesses her love for tom to shrike and this causes shrike to like shut down for some reason doesn't seem like anybody harms him in any way he just sort of turns off because yeah. he realizes that she loves tom does that happen in the book no i'm not really sure i can comment on this um Shrike does die, but uh, Tom ultimately kills Shrike. Um, it's a good bit later in the story, though. Yeah. See, it's interesting because in the movie, it almost looked like it was edited around a different event happening. I don't know if yeah. you noticed this. I thought there was a moment in the movie, and I don't know anybody who watched it recently for this episode may have noticed this, where as he's like, after she's like no i love tom and he seems to like this seems to affect him greatly it almost seems like there's a moment where he so i i kept expecting he like reacts and i kept expecting for him to like drop and there to be somebody behind him that had stabbed him somehow mm-hmm. the way it's shot and the way it looks i kept thinking that was going to happen and i almost wonder if there was like a cut that had that like somebody had now in doesn't make any sense because everybody else is in the other part of the ship at this point. I don't know yeah. who it would have been. But it was still very strange about the way – maybe I was just – like because I kept expecting like, oh, he's going to – somebody's going to have stabbed him. But no, he just shuts down or yeah, dies from – kind of an odd – I mean I, – The idea is I, – I get the thematic idea is that at this point he then realizes that Hester doesn't need him anymore yeah. or, or that – because she's happy he because the whole reason he was hunting her down was that she was unhappy and he wanted to make her happy by turning or make her not not feel anymore by turning her into a robot and when he realizes oh she is happy because she's in love with this guy i don't need to do that anymore she's good now my my job here is you know my mission is is done his journey is over his journey is over so he like it i think it works i just yeah it was a little interesting yeah i kept expecting because i also think it's thematically that this that with the same all the same setup that tom stabbing him also works Mm -hmm. as it's a little different but tom is sort of being the the next uh person in her life that you know your job here's done i'll take it over (laughs) kind of thing Maybe a little more oddly weird and patriarchal, yeah, in a gross way. So maybe they avoided that, like, which is kind of nice, you know. 
Like the literally like the 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 boyfriend murdering the dad so that he can have the lady now. <laughs> I think that maybe that was potentially a good choice to not have that happen, but it still works in sort of a yeah archetypical type type of it way. Do, yeah, it does. We get to the end, and this is where it gets really wild. So they realize that that he has this that Valentine has this giant weapon that he's using to destroy the wall. And they know at this point that the only thing that can shut it down is this, it's like called a crash card, I believe is what they call it. It's some sort of little like flash drive that you plug into the machine and this stops the machine. It was like a, you know, fail safe that they had on these weapons back well, a long time ago. And uh, they had tried to destroy the ship already, but they couldn't do it. They were just going to blow the weapon up, but they, they, all their ships got blown up. And at one point, in the movie Hester it goes down as the wall is being attacked and she's looking at like an old shrine of some sort mm-hmm. and she sees this eye emblem on the head of the shrine and she remembers this necklace that her mother gave her or that we saw in a flashback in the movie and that we've seen several times over the course of the movie and that Shrike gave back to her yeah in like the previous scene right when he died is this eyeball necklace and but she had it for a long time, it seemed. She just left it at one point. I don't remember how Shrike got it um, in when the movie. He, well, when he initially, like, rescues her, she starts to drop it, and he grabs it. Oh, uh, okay. And I think that's the last time we see it, till like, he gives it oh, back. Oh, so maybe he had had it the whole time, which makes so. this next part at least a little more, make a little more sense than I originally thought. Yeah. So she sees this eyeball, and then she remembers this necklace, and she looks at it, and then it opens, and it has the crash card in it. Yeah. And she's like, oh, shit, okay, cool. I guess this is that's the thing the we need. the thing we need. Right, there's a MacGuffin we need. Um... And now in the movie, I was like, that was literally the first time you in your whole life that you've had that, that you realized it <laughs> opened. And now maybe if Shrike has had it the whole time, that, again, I think that, that was makes a the little, implication. that makes a little more sense, but it's still a little like, she just kind of brainwaves like, oh, oh, this necklace that looks like my neck. Oh, oh, whoa. <laughs> like very kind of convenient writing. Uh, is that what happens in the book? No, okay. uh, there's no necklace. Um, there's no failsafe card. We'll get to that a little bit later. So none of that happens. No, that happens. No. Okay. Uh, does, well, following on from that, does Hester eventually shut down Medusa and does Fang sacrifice herself so that Hester can do that? Um, no. And no. Um, <laughs> Anna Fang does die, but she's killed in the city just past the wall, not in London. Is she killed by... By Valentine. Valentine? Yes. Okay, so he's off the ship at some point. Yes. Wild. Because he never leaves <laughs> the ship in the movie. I know. He's just, just in the in the basilica or whatever, the church, so that they have the giant weapon in. All right. So now this is where it gets very confusing and silly to me in the movie, is that... After the the weapon is blowing a hole in the wall, but it doesn't quite make it through in the movie. It mm-hmm. blows a pretty big hole, but doesn't quite get bl- destroy the wall, so they can't drive the city through. But at this point, Valentine in the movie is like, all right, final plan B or whatever. And he has his goons go murder everybody in the like control room of London and then set it on a collision course with the wall to destroy the wall. And then he's going to get on a ship and fly away. Mm-hmm. What's 
does that happen in the book? Because I don't know what the heck his plan is in the movie. So none of the climax of the movie is the way that it happens in the book, like except for the basic concept that they want to use Medusa to bust down the wall and then colonize everything on the other side. Yeah. But other than that, everything is different. Okay. So I can't even begin to explain what his... All right. Motivations Let's were. Let's real quick, just so for my own self and for people who just watched the movie, try to figure out what the heck. But I just want to talk about it for a minute because I thought this was like the weakest part of the movie in terms of like I did not understand what was going on. Like what his possible motivation was is because I mean, the movie never explains it. But like so his whole motivation this whole time is he's power hungry. He wants mm-hmm. to break through the wall so that he can conquer everything past the wall because they're 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 basically running out of resources on their side and if they break through the wall there's all kinds of you know uh fuel and and whatever resources on the other side of the wall that they can conquer with their city or with london but after the weapon is shut down and he can't make it through the wall his plan is to is to kamikaze london into the wall Thus destroying the wall, but then then oh, what's his plan? Right, because it would also destroy London. <laughs> you would think you it would, would think. also destroy London, which means he no longer has the firepower or the yeah the 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 the, the any sort of means to then conquer anything past. Now maybe his plan is to fly back to like one of the other major like England cities or something that's ha- and then come back. Maybe, but the movie never addresses any of that. Mm-mm. And it was just the strangest thing. And, and I guess the point is, like, at this point, it's like the sort of the white whale idea of, like, he's not it, he doesn't have a plan. It's just he's so focused on destroying the wall and and yeah, getting maybe. through it as sort of this this great, you know, this white whale that he's lost all, you know, rational sense. But it doesn't feel that way. Like, he doesn't see because he's still worried about, like getting off the ship and saving his daughter and like he seems like he's still trying to rationally operate in some way like if he was just like completely bonkers and like driving the ship himself at the wall i would be like okay like i like his plan does he doesn't have a plan his plan is i'm bringing this wall down one way or the other and you know but uh it just felt so weird it felt so just sort of like they didn't know what to do yeah and so they just wrote an ending which is funny because they already had an ending and we're gonna talk about that and we're gonna talk about okay cool uh final thing this twist reveal is i couldn't believe it and i was like (laughs) this better be in the book and even still it's sort of like why would you do no i'm your father ever in your fantasy (laughs) literature like i just the moment where the main character or one of the main, you know, like the, the main like hero of the story confronts the main villain of the story. And that villain says, no, I'm your father. I was like, you really, you're going to, you can't, nobody can do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. At least not in the way they do it because they literally do it. She gets on top of the ship, has her gun on Valentine. And he goes, you know, you're my, you're, you're a lot like me or whatever. And he's like, your mother never told you, or whatever he says, something like, or yeah. not your mother never told you, but you you always suspected, didn't you, or something, implying that he's her father. Because during the flashbacks, we saw that his, her mom and him were close, and the implication is that he's mm-hmm. her father. And it's they do it like exactly like Empire Strikes Back, and I'm just like, what? That's a choice. That's such a choice. That's is, a choice. Is that what happens in the book? No. Um. 
she is his daughter or it's implied that she is yeah like pretty strongly implied but they don't like explicitly confirm it the way that they do in the movie or is it a confrontation between the two of them where no. that's okay because that's the thing to me yeah. that's... there's no i am your father moment yeah um in in the book valentine mentions to kate at one point that hester might have been her half sister okay because him and her mother were fairly close and he's like but i'm not sure though yeah and then like at the very end of the book Kate and Hester come face to face and they like look exactly the same. See, that's if you're going to do it, because I, I get wanting the dramatic reveal. Yeah. Like I get wanting like the moment of like realization for the audience to to rip that bandaid off and for the audience to go, oh, shit. Whereas opposed to like him just offhand mentioning it mm-hmm. to Kate in the middle of the story wouldn't be interesting. Mm hmm. Set a few more bre- if you're gonna do it in the movie, if you wanted that big reveal, do it. Set a few more breadcrumbs over the course of the movie. We already had a little bit where we see them kind of like where we see uh, in the flashback we see Pandora, who's Hester's mom, and and Valentine sort of like you know canoodling mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. and and then maybe do a couple more moments like that, and then at the end have that moment where because I think that's a, at least a different and interesting reveal is have Kate and Hester meet and there be, I don't know how you would do it, but you yeah. could write it in a way where you could reveal it then that is still shocking and memorable to the audience without me literally having my eyes roll out of my head that you had <laughs> the gall to essentially straight up recreate the I'm your father moment from Empire Strikes Back. Like you you can reveal the villain as the father of the, the hero, but you gotta not do it the exact same way that the most well-known movie <laughs> scene of all time did it. Maybe like I don't know. I I was like, oh, that's a that's a brave choice. <laughs> like that is that's a bold choice. Let's see if it pays off. Uh, all right, that was all I had for was that in the book. Have a few questions for Lost in Adaptation, so let's get into those. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Wow, was a lost. Yes. Yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. So in the movie, obviously, we talked about there are the traction cities and the static cities. Uh, And the thing that was really interesting to me is that we never get an explanation in the film as to why half of the world decided to organize into giant, unwieldy, moving (laughs) tank cities. Like, Like, there's no, like, oh, and because of X reason the best way to survive was in giant (laughs) moving (laughs) tank tank cities. cities. You know Um, what I mean? It's kind of similarly vague in the book. Okay. Um, The, the world destroyed itself. Yeah. um, And they rebuilt as rolling cities because like the earth wasn't safe to live on. But it was at least part, some most of it, because there's a whole half of the world that. I lives. mean, the other explanation here is because steampunk. Right, and that's fine if that's your reason. I just would have liked if they had come up with even the, the lamest attempt <laughs> to give me some sort of justification as to why, this is necessary. You know what I mean? Like why? What? Not even necessary. Why it would have started? I could see even see if like for some reason it started. And then it just sort of, that was the way it's, it, so for some reason it happened, and then after that, 
you know, everybody just kept doing it and doing it and just kind of spiraled out of control to where mm-hmm. that's just the way things are now. But it was just no. It's just like I'm just like it just seems so impractical. Like it just seems like no reason you would ever create giant moving cities unless you had to for some reason. Yeah. And I don't know what that reason would be. And the movie never attempts to give us a reason for that, which I I found a little disappointing. But does the book give us any more? We've talked now and revealed. Uh, we've talked about and revealed now the fact that uh, Valentine is Hester's father, and that Hester and Pan or. Valentine and Pandora were together. Um, do we get any more of the background on their relationship in the book than we do in the movie? Because we get a couple flashbacks, and I'm just not really sure like the nature of their relationship or what their whole deal was. Um, not a ton. We know that Pandora was his assistant on a trip to America, like for a, a dig, um, and that they it was implied that they were together at okay. least at one point. But other than that, we don't really get any more. Yeah. And I think I wrote I wrote this pretty early, like before the whole reveal at the end mm-hmm. with their whole deal being that they were together together. So, like, that makes a little more sense why it was vague at this point when I wrote this question in the movie yeah. because I didn't want it to be obvious what was going on. So what about Kate? Let's talk about Kate Valentine. Uh, in the movie, she seemed at one point earlier in the film, her and her dad have sort of a political disagreement. He says, like, I know you think that traction people and city or statics can live together peacefully, but, you know, you're living in fairyland or whatever. Like, he, they seem to disagree somewhat politically. Like, maybe, I don't know if she's studying, so, like, if, if it's something to do with her schooling or whatever or why she thinks, because we don't get much of her backstory or what she's about in the film, and I don't know, like, why, what her deal is. Like, if she's, like, super motivated by the idea of, like, peacefully joining these two societies back together or like I don't know what her motivation is other than like eventually in the movie she finds out that her dad's kind of evil and so then she like helps stop him but I I guess my fact is like she seems very quick to go down that path in the movie and I don't know where what her starting point is you know what I mean yeah Um, so Kate has much more of an arc in the book than she does in the movie Um, She starts out, like, the thing that kind of kicks her off down this road of discovery is that she wants to know more about the girl who tried to kill her dad. Yeah. So she wants to, like, unravel that mystery. Um, And she starts out believing that her dad is, like, all good and that he must just not know about all of the terrible things that go on in the background in the city. Um, And then as she digs deeper into this conspiracy, um, she comes to realize that really her father's just a coward. Hmm. There are some big differences. Okay, I was about to say that doesn't his character. It doesn't particularly strike me uh, as uh, germane to his character in the film. There's some big differences, which I'm going to get into. All right, interesting. Uh, So it sounds similar in the in the movie. I I have I'm feeling it's just the same kind of thing. Whereas because the book has more time to explore it, that we get much more. Because what you described here is essentially identical to what happens in the book or in the movie but in the movie it just i'm sure in the book we're getting a more fleshed out because she is one of sort of the main focal like point of view characters we're getting a more fleshed out uh sort of worldview for her yeah in the book than what we get in the movie because it's so minimal like I, i literally the only thing i know about her is that her dad at one point has an offhand comment about her thinking that 
I guess I just wanted more to know who she was at the beginning. I felt like the movie did an okay job explaining to me who Tom was. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of his like love of the old old technology and that he seems to be somewhat of a pacifist because he's hoarding all these weapons and he doesn't want them to be used again and that sort of thing. And that's his motivation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that he, he, he respects Valentine's character because Valentine, what he thinks, like his motivation seems like what I was expecting Kate's should have like her should have been as fleshed out as his was I feel like no I agree and so that was where I was kind of stumbling but okay cool that was all I had for Lost in Adaptation let's go ahead and talk about what was better in the book you like to read oh yes I love to read what do you like to read everything so we already talked about the fact that Hester is really just too pretty yeah She's too pretty. Um, I won't rehash what we already discussed, but I do want to say something else that bothered me about it in this particular movie was that they leaned into a trope that I hate, which is that she's still perfectly pretty, but whenever her scarf is down, people are like, oh, she's hideous. She's hideous. Yeah. She's a disgusting creature. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's fine, you guys. She just has a scar. Yeah. Yeah. Calm down. Uh, yeah, that is ner- numerous times where characters are like, you're better off as sausage, you ugly piece of shit. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> no, hold on wait just a, a minute, my good sir. <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> yeah, that is a problem. Yeah. You, you didn't change any of the, the dialogue, for, <laughs> but you did change what the character looks like, and that doesn't really work. So in the book, Kate has a, a pet wolf that she calls Dog. I love Dog. Nice. I demand for dog to be in this movie. No dog. But also I have a caveat to that later, which we're going to talk about. But in general, I demand dog, (laughs) and I'm very disappointed that dog was not in this movie. Um, It was really weird to me that Tom was, like, hoarding the old weapons and, like, planning to dispose them because Tom is supposed to be the character that we watch learn that everything he grew up with is actually very, very bad and that London is not a great place. Yeah. See, I think he... I think he... uh, Yeah, see, that's interesting because I think this movie does a little bit of... I think they do, like, a watered-down version I think, the, but it was weird to me that we started out with him like somebody is taking these weapons, see, so I'm going to get rid of them. And I think that's part probably one of the places that the movie fails is that the movie goes, okay, so London, the movie makes it about one bad apple or several yes. bad apples versus systemic problems with. Yep, and that's what we're <laughs> going to talk about. Okay, in a bit. Yeah. We're gonna oh, we're gonna talk about it, and that's sort of reflected in Tom's in Tom's yeah. sort of character arc here at the beginning of him going like, because he, he his arc is, he realizes there are problems, but his pro, he realizes that his his hero worship of Valentine is misplaced, but he's still constantly throughout the course of the movie is like, no, London's great, it's good. There's innocent people and blah blah blah, etc. Which sure there are innocent people, yeah, part of every evil machine, but um. He, uh, yeah, I think that's the big, the big sort of bait and switch that the movie pulls is that it, 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 it absolutely does the, oh, it's just this, see, no, London's, there's all these colonizers, they're fine. All those people cheering when we run down little cities and, and, and eat, and eat them. 
they're they're okay. It's this one guy. This, <laughs> this one, one guy. This motherfucker. This motherfucker right here, Hugo Weaving, see him, he's the problem. We got rid of him. We're, We're fine. We're all good now. It's all great. <laughs> We're going to be accepted by the anti-attractionist with open arms. That's a real uh, liberal. That's some real liberal white Hollywood bullshit. (laughs) All right. um, So we'll get more on that later. (laughs) Um, The engineers in the book are all bald. Like they chemically remove their hair, which I thought was really creepy. Which ones are the engineers now? Um, they all wore like white coats. And oh this. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like the main suits. one is that woman yes. Twix or whatever yeah. her name is. Yeah. yeah. So they're all like egghead, bald. Interesting. Which I thought could have been creepy. Some of them are have sh- short hair or no hair. I feel like some of them have a look like that. Yeah, I don't remember. But they're not bald. Yeah, they're not they're, bald, but though. they're like all bald, and they wear like goggles. And yeah, I, I don't know. I thought it could have been like spooky looking if yeah. they had cared to do anything with that. Um. All right. So let's talk about Valentine. Um, Because the movie makes Valentine into the big bad. Um, In the book, Chrome, the mayor, is the big bad. And I I, I understand that from, like, a a narrative perspective, from, like, wanting to streamline the story. Yeah. And just have, like, okay, Valentine is the bad guy. Yeah. Right? Simple. Yeah. Um, But I also think it's more interesting and ultimately, like, more tragic the way that the book does it, which is that he is a coward who is afraid to climb out of the mayor's pocket. I think it's more interesting that he's someone who's flawed and wants to be better, but consistently fails at doing so. Gotcha. So Chrome is the one behind the the weapon and all that sort of stuff? Chrome is the one behind the weapon and everything. And, and 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 okay, and Valentine's going along with it, yeah, because he's a coward. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Um, we talk about movie. Real, sorry, real quick yeah. before we get, can we get back to that? So, does in the in the I didn't ask this, but I assumed it was the same. Does Valentine kill Pandora in the? Or if you have another note about it somewhere, we can talk about yeah, it. Yeah, he does. And, and and is it for the same reason of taking that tech yes. or whatever? Yeah. But it's less of his own like sort of power power greed aspirations and more because like what's his motivation for killing her and taking her at that point is he because he he has to do this for for chrome and for london or like what you know what i'm saying like because in the movie it's very like a big villainous moment of him like how dare you and he flies into a rage like is that similar or is it like that she like won't let him have it or is gonna hide it or you know what I mean? Yeah, she doesn't want him to take it, and I, I don't know that the book really like goes into what his motivation in that specific moment okay. is. Um, I think it's implied that he is ashamed of it later, and that's why he's kind of trying to like like cover it up, and he doesn't want anybody to know about Hester Shaw. Right. Okay. He is a bad guy. He's just not the bad guy that the movie gives us. Gotcha. Um, so movie Bevis, speaking of guys that the movie didn't give us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I This was really hard for me because I actually loved his character in the book. Um, are we still calling people cinnamon rolls? Because he was a cinnamon roll. <laughs> I, in I the don't book. know. Were we ever? <laughs> just like... 
Oh, you were never on Tumblr. Okay, no. never mind. No. Um, you all just learned something about me. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm aware of the precious little cinnamon roll. Yeah, precious little cinnamon yeah. roll. He was a precious little cinnamon roll, and I loved him. Okay. Um, so I did, really didn't care for a movie Bevis, who was like kind of like gravelly voiced and like yeah. You don't know what goes on in this city, <laughs> yeah. and then like just completely drops out of the movie, just disappears. Yeah, yeah. just vanishes. Yeah. Um, so that was disappointing. Um, I didn't understand how Valentine, like, I didn't understand the choice that we made where Valentine gets Shrike out of the prison because he like once Shrike, so he shoots down the entire prison. Yeah, I thought that was silly. That was kind of weird. It was to show, I mean, the idea, they're trying to add some characterization for, for, uh, to show that Valentine. He was like, oh, I was thinking to show that Shrike was like indestructible. Well, that whatever. too, that too. But also I think for Valentine that he will literally, he doesn't like for whatever his, he will destroy, burn anything to the ground to reach his, mm. whatever his goal is. Like yeah. he wants her dead. He wants him out of there. He doesn't care that he's going to destroy the whole prison and kill a bunch of prisoners i assume and people mm-hmm. in the prison to do it i think is sort of what you know what i mean they're trying to add a little bit of characterization in that moment beyond just like him breaking him out of there yeah and also like you said a little bit toward for shrike to show like he is a little indestructible that like he shoots a hole in his cage and it doesn't yeah. hurt him and then he falls to the bottom of the ocean and then he walks out of the ocean and like you know like they wanted like all of yeah. that stuff i i <sighs> Well, one thing that bothered me was that I felt like it was kind of a weird, like, little blip in the world building because yeah. there's just a prison, like, out in the middle of the ocean when what the world is is, like, a bunch of moving places Yeah, that don't get along with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. I'm not saying it. I, I don't think it didn't really make a lot of sense, but I think that's why, why they no, did it. Yeah, why, yeah, why they do it that way. Sure. Um, In the book, Shrike actually, like, walks himself into London where he knows that he'll be, like, captured and experimented on because he wants to find Hester so badly, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. But I don't know if there was a dramatic way to do that, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I honestly also thought Shrike was pretty uninteresting looking. Yeah. Like, he just looked like a Terminator with green eyes. He really did. He wasn't particularly Yeah, which, like, given his description in the book, which I thought was pretty, like, gross and yeah. chilling, I thought they had a really missed opportunity there to do something cool. I think they could have done more. I think he looked okay in the movie, but I think he did look a little too Terminator-y yeah. looking. But it was like, the, like, the gaunt face yeah. and, you know. Yeah. I thought it worked okay, and I, I thought... I not having it to compare to the book description i thought that i did think well he looks a little like terminator but i still like his character was effective enough for me overall that i thought the character design worked while being a little derivative yeah i guess yeah it is a little derivative I've I made this note like halfway through the movie. I I just felt like the dynamic between everyone in the movie was so like slightly altered yeah. from what it was in the book that it was a little like jarring to me. Like Tom and Hester's relationship I felt like progressed really quickly. I always feel that way about every movie ever. I can't That's, watch yeah. movies anymore cuz TV's ruined movies for me, but yeah. Um, and then Anna Fang like knows Hester and like knew her mom, which is not the case in the book. Yeah. And I felt like they were making Hester into like the savior girl or whatever the trope is called. Yeah. 
a little bit, yeah. Um, and then like I have a note again about Kate and Bevis. I was like, what's even happening with them? Because they have like a bunch of adventures and like fall in love, and they have their own like story, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, not in the that movie wasn't in the movie. You no, know, they do a couple things together, and yeah. then he disappears. Um, one thing that they do together where they meet is she goes into the deep gut like way way down in the bowels of london and i was disappointed that that was cut because that scene was brutal and it really showed how awful this quote-unquote civilization was because they have like prisoners working down there and there's like a giant vat of literal shit Oh, yeah. So, and they have them like waiting around in this, and they talk about how they're trying to figure out how to make food out of it, but the prisoners keep dying when they feed it to them. And they're like, oh, well. I just remembered I lied about what my favorite steampunk thing is because I just had two, thi- two things just occurred in my brain at once here. You're describing that moment, and it made me think of something, and it made me think of another thing. First thing it made me think of. Well, the second thing it made me realize is I lied about what my favorite steampunk thing is. My favorite steampunk thing is Snowpiercer. Oh, hey, you're right. Snowpiercer is absolutely yeah. steampunk. Second, first thing it made me realize that led to that second thought is holy shit, remake this movie and make uh, Bong Joon Ho direct. Oh, uh, yeah, let him do it. Give it it's, to him. It's right up his alley. This is yeah. Snowpiercer mixed with the class. Uh, <laughs> Well, not that Snowpiercer doesn't have tons of class criticism and all that sort of yeah. stuff, but like mixed well, this with is, this is Snowpiercer, with but they're in cities instead of a train. It's like Parasite and Snowpiercer like rolled into like one movie, mixed with a little bit of yeah, like absolutely. I was like, as soon as I I was like, holy shit, he would make this movie infinitely better. Yeah. Oh, hmm. why is that not a thing? Now I'm disappointed. Yeah. Oh my goodness, he needs to make this movie. That would have been incredible. It would have been incredible. Anyways, go watch Snowpiercer. It's the better version of this, pretty much. Yeah, so the deep gut is, like, a lot of the shit that goes on in, like, the worst parts of Snowpiercer. Yeah, Like, yeah. some similar stuff. Yeah, that's what made me think about it, yeah. Um, another thing that the movie skips is that uh, Tom and Hester hang out with some pirates for a while. Not the fun kind of pirates. Oh, um, there is kind of like there's like a, a lighter moment to that because the captain of the pirate ship like the reason that he doesn't just like kill them or sell them into slavery is because he wants to become a gentleman and Tom is from London so he wants Tom to like teach him manners and like how to talk good and stuff. Gotcha. Um, but they're not nice pirates. Um, and I thought it was a shame then that that was cut because it's through that plot line with the pirates that Tom um, finally starts to realize that municipal Darwinism is shitty and that London isn't actually better than any of these small scavenger towns and pirates and things, that they're actually doing the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Ugh, yep. So many missed opportunities. So many missed opportunities. Um, all right, so let's talk about the ending. Um, the last half of this movie is like a different story. Yeah. Um, they completely abandon Kate and Bevis's plotline, which means that we see basically none percent of how horrible London yeah. actually is. Like you said, they make it about a couple of bad apples yeah. rather than something that's systemic and yeah. gross yeah. and has been going on for thousands of years. Yep. <laughs> 
um, which is just a great message. It's the best message. Yep. Um, and then they actually use the weapon to almost bring the wall down, and Hester has this, like, kill key hidden in her necklace when what London is supposed to destroy itself. The weapon, like, malfunctions, and it backfires on them, and they destroy themselves, and that is the whole point. <laughs> For fuck's sake, that's the whole point. It absolutely is the They whole destroy point. themselves. Does, like, all of London die, or...? It's implied that all of London dies, yeah. Does, like, Kate like, Bevis die? And yeah, like, oh, everybody shit. dies oh, in this book. Oh, shit! And, like, like at the end, they're, like, like uh, Tom and Hester get away on the yeah. on the airplane, and they're, like, do you think anybody survived down there? And they're, like, and Tom's kind of, like, thinking to himself, like, comforting himself with thoughts of, like, oh, maybe some of them made it. Oh, But, man. you know, probably not. Holy shit, that's wild. You know who would have done that? Bob Juno would have fucking done that. <laughs> you fucking kidding me? That's exactly how this movie would have ended. Oh, yeah, everybody dies. So disappointing. I know. Oh, God, that would have been incredible. Because they fuck with this power that is bad and they want to use it anyway and they don't understand it and they don't know how to control it. And they destroy themselves. Yeah, see, that's, a, that's the problem here is that this movie has the guts in the beginning of a fun YA adventure film. Mm -hmm. But the book turns it around at the end and goes, nope, all these like really deep messages about colonialism and systemic uh, class disparity and like all of this terrible shit and and London eats itself and dies because... Because of uh, of all of this horrible systemic fucking grime that has been uh, festering within our civilization for a thousand years or whatever. And the movie was like, well, but what if not that? What if good girl save day? What if just kill bad guy? What if bad guy die happy ending? Everybody <laughs> because, happy. Because, because we want to make, because we like this world you know, because we think it could be the next big yeah. movie series. And that is wildly disappointing. It's wildly disappointing. I'll just say that. Yeah. Especially it's wildly disappointing that Peter Jackson would be, not that I'm saying it's surprising necessarily, but it's disappointing that he would <sighs> go that direction. Because he wrote, I mean, he was involved, it was yeah. him and his, his uh, Fran, I think it's his partner or whatever, who like writes on and somebody else. Um, Oh, no, three this, people. This movie took the coward's way out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely and took now who, the coward's I way. I will give, uh, you know, benefit of the doubt, maybe that who knows with studio powers and wanting sequels and wanting their, you know, the, you can't, yeah. oh, maybe the first treatment came back and the ending was like the book and the studio was like, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? So I, I, I would say I don't know, but that's disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> How's that sequel working out for you guys? <laughs> yeah. Get that sequel? Get it? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, that was it for Better in the Book. Let's go ahead and talk about the few things that were better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. Um, all right, so I have a couple things that the movie did that I liked. Um, I thought that starting with like a little mini prologue was interesting. Um, to kind of set up... Very uh, on brand for yeah. Peter Jackson. <laughs> yes. 
um, kind of set up a few things about the world so that the audience can jump in a little yeah. bit better. I think they could have done more with it, though, honestly. No, I agree. Because yeah. I have a note about that later. I think that, that was the, the movie was lacking even more of that. Yeah. Like, I think that that should have been as long and as in-depth as the Lord of the Rings uh, prologue. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In the first movie. That just kind of explains everything that's going on and where and we're then at. Just have Kate Blanchett. Yeah, read and it. just have Kate Blanchett for no do it. reason that's explained. Just Don't have care. her do it. Don't care. Just have her do it. Hugo Weaving even says a line like "the world's changing." Yeah, and I was like, "Well, okay, <laughs> fuck you." <laughs> um, I also thought it was interesting to start in the city that London eats instead of the other way around because the book starts in London. Yeah, um, which I think works. For different reasons. Yeah. Um, but it, it kind of like set me up hoping that this would have more commentary on like colonialism and then that didn't pan out. No. But um, but I, I thought that was a, a fun choice, an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, I also liked the way that the movie interpreted the mechanics of the cities and like the way that they oh, moved yeah. around yeah, really was neat. a lot of fun. It was and super cool. The book really gives you like very little to go on yeah. there, which I totally get. I wouldn't want to write a description no. of that. No. Totally understand. Um, but it was fun to watch. Yeah, I read in the I didn't don't think I had it in the prequel, but I they they like when they were developing all of these cities and stuff, they like went in and like three D modeled entire the entire city so that they knew exactly how, like where all the different layouts were of the like London and everything. And they like went really in depth and you can tell when you watch it, they went really in depth with like how these cities worked and operated and all the machinery and like the layouts. And I, it was really cool. And that that's the part, like I said, early in the film, that's the most fascinating and the most sort of enjoyable about the film. And I'll talk more about it in a few minutes. Um, I do love a blunderbuss. Yeah, gotta love gotta, a blunderbuss. Gotta love a blunderbuss. Um, speaking of Anna Fang, she had a pretty sweet wing tattoo across her back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she did. Um, and then I thought um, her airship, the Jenny Hanover, and yeah. then Air Haven, which was the city up in the sky. Yeah. Um, the cloud both, city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought they were both pretty cool looking. Yeah. Um, lots of cool looking stuff. In oh, those. yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the design and, and the, yeah, the, the, the set design or production design and everything was mm-hmm. top notch. Which um, which you come to expect. It's Weta Workshops. Yeah. It's, the, it's Peter Jackson's crew. It You absolutely would expect nothing less from yeah. that. Maybe we hire a few more writers. Yeah. But, you know. Um, I liked that we got more of Shrike's backstory. Um, it's kind of alluded to in the book that, like, Hester kind of muses. Like, I think maybe he can remember yeah. some things sometimes. Um, but I, I liked that we got to see some of that. Yeah. Like her, her and his interactions. And yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. So even though the movie leaves out dog. I had a feeling this was going to be still, your note. I demand dog, but I am glad that I didn't have to watch dog die. <laughs> yeah. Because dog dies in the book, dog gets yeah. shot. And I am glad that I didn't have to watch that, but I still demand dog. <laughs> they changed so many other things. They could have had dog just not had dog die. Yeah, right. Nobody else died. Why would dog die? <laughs> Uh, that would have been the one thing they kept the same just to spite you I know. <laughs> the dog would have been in the movie and they still would have killed it even though everybody else lives alright that was it for better in the movie let's talk about what the movie nailed as I expected practically perfect in every way so we had Valentine pushing Tom down the garbage to shoot to uh, keep his secrets from being revealed yep. movie nailed that sequence cool 
Um, Anna Fang pretty much nailed her. She's stone cold badass. Yes, she is. Um, and Shrike's collection of dolls and wind up toys. That's a thing straight out of the book. His like the, the, does the book talk about? Because I thought that was a, a, a cool. I don't know, a little bit of writing and, and sort of uh, character uh, characterization thing is that they uh, Hester sort of muses on the fact that why she think that, that Shrike is a collector of things. And you obviously you said he does collect things, but that he's a collector of things and that he collects like broken and and and, you know, discarded things because it something I don't remember exactly what she says, but it's just something about him and how I can't remember the line. It looked something about like him seeing himself. Yeah, in, in that those stuff. in that stuff. That's, that's yeah, I don't think they explicitly discuss it like that, but it's kind of implied. Okay, I thought that, that was. They yeah. talk. She talks about how he likes like the dolls and the wind up toys and things like that. Cool. All right, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was it for the movie nail. Yeah, it. pretty much. All right, let's go ahead and talk about a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. Uh, Anna Fang looks like a straight-up Matrix character yeah. in this movie. Yeah, she, she, and I mean, no, she looks straight like her description does in the book. Yeah. So She doesn't look like anyone else in this movie. No, though. that's the thing is that she like <laughs> looks nothing like anybody else. She straight-up looks like they plucked a Matrix character out and was yes. like, slap. Like, the glasses, the, the long red trench coat, like, every, the haircut, everything about her. It's just like, wait a second. <laughs> Did she unplug from the Matrix into this world? Like, what is happening? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Towns eating towns. We're really taking colonialism to a new symbolic <laughs> level here. I mean, it's it's towns, about as overt as symbolism towns gets. Literally eating towns. <laughs> it's literally about as overt as you can make symbolism yeah. in in a thing. Uh, but you know, it works. It does. <laughs> it it, it does, does work. Too bad the movie doesn't comment on it. No. but you know it works. I do wonder if the movie was intentionally, initially going to go lean harder into that because we get those moments early in the movie, yeah. where they like when they're chasing down the ship. There's deliberate where they're chasing down the smaller cities and stuff. There's deliberate shots of all of the London people, at least all the higher, like the mm-hmm. upper class London people, sitting on top of the city watching them run down these little cities and like cheering with bloodlust. Yeah. And it feels like the movie's trying to say something there, but then it's never addressed again. I do. Yeah. I do wonder, like you were saying, maybe studio, maybe rewrites, because there was another shot in the beginning that gave me hope that they were going to comment on stuff, which was when the, the little Bavarian city or whatever gets like chopped up. Yeah. And you see like it has like the, the eagle or the griffin or whatever yeah. on the outside and it just kind of like gets crumbled up into the engines. Yeah. And, yeah. Like London literally consumes it. Yeah. Yeah. And so like again it, it's a bit it's a bit of that like having your cake and eating it too of like, oh look, look, we're doing we're doing a symbolism. And then, but but not following through yeah. on any of this commentary, and and I do wonder if you know who knows. 
I, I maybe we could do some research and figure out maybe they're interviews or something, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe not because Peter Jackson wants to keep working. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's Peter Jackson. I don't think they're gonna like stop. He made like the most successful movie franchise of all time. I don't think anybody's gonna stop giving him money. Uh, no, a couple I, more I, of these they might, but. <laughs> but I feel like he'd rather we forget this one happened. Yeah, so. but I it just would be really interested to see if maybe it was like oh we want you know even if he maybe talks about it coyly or something somewhere about like you know it didn't quite end how we wanted it to or you know. It, yeah, it went a different direction than we were hoping. You know, maybe there's something about that because it does feel like early on that it leans much harder into some of that commentary, and then it just the, the rug gets pulled out from underneath it yeah. at the end of the film, and it's it's interesting. Uh, I will say that like over halfway through this movie, I was like, you know, my inner 13 year old self is here for this movie. Like, I, I it's 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 lacking a fair bit of like narrative cohesion in, in sort of that department, uh, but it's super fun. The performances were all really good, uh, especially like Hugo Weaving. I think he's mm-hmm. was dynamite in this movie. Uh, and then the aesthetic and the world building, world building like we mentioned are just like it's there. As good as it yeah. gets. Um I have a critique a little bit later that I want to talk about in terms of the direction, but uh, the rest of the movie is just like uh, other than the script and the direction, I thought were just about as good as it gets. And I was like, uh, I can I can see how if 13-year-old me had been seeing this movie in theaters, this would have been my favorite movie for at least like a good few months. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I would have been like, oh, it's fucking amazing. There were a couple moments in this movie that made me like kind of laugh to myself. Yeah. One of them was when we were coming out of uh, Hester's flashback to living with Shrike and it like faded from the robot mask to her face. Yeah. <laughs> it was, was a like, little okay guys. It was a little cheesy. I didn't hate it, but it was not uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't great, I'll say, but it it wasn't the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was kind of funny how some of the names in this, in, in, in at least in the movie, and I'm assuming in the book, were a little uh, on the nose, mm-hmm. or at least I I thought it was kind of because like so am I wrong? First one, and I could be wrong about this is is Hester um, Shaw isn't Hester the name of the main character in the Crucible? Um, isn't it Hester? Uh, Hester, are you thinking or of no, the, Scarlet the Scarlet Letter? Letter. Yeah, yes, Hester that's Hester Prynne. Prynne. Yeah. There might be a Hester in the Crucible, but I, I was really th- no, don't I was remember. Thinking, I was thinking of the Scarlet Letter, and I was thinking there was potentially a connection there. But more important, more so, I thought it was funny that so the in the movie at least uh, the thing that that Hester's mom finds that causes uh, Hugo Weaving to kill her and take it um, because it it contains the. <laughs> The, the the final piece of the key to unleash chaos upon the world is this like literal box mm-hmm. and her mom's name is Pandora. It's it's a little on the nose. I was like, okay. <laughs> Alright, you want to take another alright, fine. Like even just like a slight slight tweak on that name or something. I don't know. No, Pandora, alright, she's got a box, cool. Alright, great. It's gonna unleash chaos. Okay, cool, great. Fine, sure. <laughs> Whatever you want it. So, did you notice that when uh, when our uh, anti-attractionist heroes Anna Fang and her cohort of attractive people, yeah, um, attractive aviatrixes, aviatrix piratey guys, yeah, yeah. Um, when they when they fly to the shield wall, they yeah. fly through a hole in it to get in. 
I think they land in the wall, don't they? I thought they went like through. A oh, hole, maybe they do fly. And they go a hole into. And I was like, why are they flying through it? Maybe they're okay. My yeah, that is a little silly. But my <laughs> thought is that maybe that's like what you're required to do. And if you try to fly over it, they just shoot you down. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Or something it's a like that. Like maybe measure. it's like they make you fly through there so they can kind of like look at you. I don't even know. I mean, they they know who they are because they're like. They're they're part of this group, yeah, like they the resistance, yeah, whatever. Uh, but it, yeah, and then I, you're right because I, yeah, I think they don't land in the wall, but there are ships that are just like docked in the wall in the movie, yeah. like their air their air fleet or whatever is like just in the wall, and so maybe that's why the holes there. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a little silly. <laughs> it's like I was writing a note and then I looked up and they were like going through a hole in the wall instead of just. Yeah. I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought, speaking of the anti-tractionists, I thought that the movie really could have used some more sort of backstory on the whole world. I, we mentioned, I mentioned earlier about the prologue needing more. I needed more about, like, when they're setting up the beginning. Like, the beginning, the prologue mainly talks about, like, how the world was destroyed and now how it's reborn and there's, like, these big roaming cities. Mm-hmm. I wanted more about, like... How it was reborn and there's these roaming cities and then there's this other faction. There's this other part of the world that's like not not roaming, roaming cities. cities and that they've never that they're 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 at war or that they're you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. because we find out later that tons of ships have tried tons of cities or at least dozens of cities have tried to break through the wall and have been destroyed or whatever in the process. Mm-hmm. At least in the movie, that's, you know, there's like this graveyard of old destroyed vehicles or whatever out in front of the wall. And so I felt like the movie really could have expanded upon sort of that that mythos of like or not mythos, but like that lore of what was going on so that I felt a little more like I understood like Mm -hmm. the stakes a little bit more, which I also think is another big problem that the movie had was that I so so London is trying to break through this wall and destroy the wall to get to all this whatever's behind it. The only thing we see behind it is in the last 15 minutes of the movie and it's that one city i have no stakes for like who these people are or what you know what i mean like even just a quick moment where like when they're pulling up where we see like families and and kids running through the streets and you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. give me something other than just like it's a big city over there like I don't see anybody other than you know other than the military people that we see in the wall. Like I just needed some. Like I felt like they're just like, oh yeah, you're gonna you care about these people because they're the other people that they're gonna destroy. Like I I felt like it just was lacking stakes by not giving us anything about what was going on on the other side of the wall. Just sort of ignores everything over there until they show up at the end to like be the in the final battle. I'm yeah. Just like, oh okay. I right, felt like we yeah. should have had, like, throughout the movie a couple times where we're, like, checking in with them or seeing... I don't know. It just yeah. felt like a... I mean, the book doesn't go, like, super more into detail. Yeah. But there's also three more books in this yeah. series and, like, other, like, lore and short stories. Actually, you would probably like this. I probably would, yeah. I'm sure I would. Um, yeah. Like I said, I liked, in general, yeah. enjoyed a lot about the movie and just, yeah. So I would imagine that if you read the other materials, those go more into, like, what, how we got from point A to point B and, like, more about, like, the static cities and that dynamic. And Yeah. My last note says, how much of this is left because I have literally stopped caring? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't stop caring, but I definitely stopped caring as much. <laughs> 
my last note was that I I think my main criticism of the film, apart from the 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 writing choices at the end uh, and the thematic choice of London not destroying itself and of of, of the whole like uh, one bad egg versus systemic problem, you know that whole thing that we've talked about. Apart from that, my biggest problem is with the direction of this film, and it and this I mean this this guy is a better filmmaker than I will ever be. Uh, whatever Steve what, Christian Christian Rivers Rivers, uh, the guy who directed this, who's like a but he up until this point had been like a second unit and a split unit director and an assistant and an AD and that sort of thing, and it absolutely looks to me like a film shot by a second unit director, and I. That's pretty harsh shade, but also it's not a terrible looking movie, but it's so workmanlike. And I'm I'm going to try to explain this in a way that makes sense to somebody who's not and I'm not even as remotely versed in in sort of what I in in the art of cinematography as I probably should be. But we don't what we don't get in this movie much of is like the big like the big the beautiful tableaus and not even tableaus the like the beautiful like striking moments Mm -hmm. there's a lot of big moments where the camera is looking at big soaring landscapes of like fiery cities and like all the like really impressive looking things but they're not shot in a way that's cinematically interesting we get like a bunch of very functional shots that you need in your movie which is why the assistant or why your second unit and stuff exists is to go shoot all of these very functional sort of scene to scene shots that you need but the movie lacks like a cohesive overall visual style mm-hmm. like the the world has a visual style like the world that exists has a very distinct visual style but the film itself doesn't have a visual style uh, compare it to something like I, I before i even get to talking about uh, like lord of the rings compare it first to something like thor ragnarok where Thor Ragnarok is a similar movie where the world has this very distinct style and 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 look to it because it is it's not steampunk but it's the because they're on um they spend most of the movie on that alien planet mm-hmm. or whatever or yeah like the battle planet the battle planet or whatever and it's very distinctive looking with like Jeff Goldblum's character and everything that's going on there uh, and then eventually at the end when they even get back to Asgard Asgard and 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 the battles are all going on and stuff but I guess what I can what what I'm trying to say is there's that one there's that one shot and there's a bunch of them in Thor Ragnarok but there's particularly that one shot that this movie doesn't have any of and that's that shot where at the end of the movie Thor jumps out of Asgard towards all those people on the bridge and it's that yeah. wide shot from the side and Thor's like it's like slow-mo and all the people are there and Thor's like lightning is striking him and it's the coolest looking thing you've ever seen. There's none of that in this movie. And yeah. if that's just a, a, a very specific example, I like then, then compare it to something like Lord of the Rings where, so you have all of the same types of shots in Lord of the Rings that you have in this movie, but then you also get the shot like at the end of the two towers where Gandalf's riding down the hill and you get that side that that uh panoramic shot from the side right as he gets to the edge of the lip and it's what I'm talking about is those those shots in movies that you could take a screenshot of and hang on your wall like art. Yeah. This movie has like zero of those. Yeah. Like as I was watching the movie it became really apparent to me what, like all of a sudden I was like holy cow this movie doesn't have a single shot. All the shots look nice, but it doesn't have a single shot that I'm like wow that's cool. 
I'm like, wow, that's some cool stuff in the shot, but mm-hmm. not wow, that shot is cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's the difference, I think. Um, and then like even even a very simple thing, like at the beginning of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, that shot that's like the very first shot. Of, well, not the first shot in the movie, but after the prologue, it's like the first shot of Frodo leaning against the tree in the meadow. Yeah, like just that shot. You could just put that on your wall, and you're like, oh, that's nice. There's none of that in this movie, and it's really interesting. And it's it's what made me the the most. It's what stuck out to me to me the most by the end of the film of like, oh yeah, that's why this guy shouldn't direct movies, <laughs> or the because it's it's just it lacks a cohesive visual style that really would make it something special. Yeah. And it's it's disappointing because it has so much else going on or going for it in terms of the like, filmmaking, yeah, in terms of like the visuals, the and, visuals yeah. and everything, and the design. You know, I agree. Um, I lied. I actually have one more note. I wonder if they kept Kate alive at the end because they were expecting to get a sequel. Yeah, they were, yeah. That's also why they didn't show uh, Hugo Weaving die. Yeah. Like he probably died, but oh, the thing stopped right as his little thing got kind of crunched. Maybe he didn't quite die. Maybe he's gonna come back with robot legs or whatever. <laughs> like. Oof, how's that sequel working Because, you know, you know what killed everyone and has three sequels? The motherfucking book. Eat yeah. it. Yeah, very true. All right, that's it. Let's go ahead and do it. It's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. So, unsurprisingly, I'm going to give this one to the book. I posted on my personal Twitter yesterday, today as we're recording this, but yesterday as you're hearing it, that if you liked my takes on Miss Peregrine's and Percy Jackson, then you would probably like my take on this movie. I don't think Mortal Engines is as bad as either of those, I will just interject real quickly. I think it's a better movie than both of those. Like, just yeah. without having read the book, not talking about adaptation, I think it's a slightly better movie than both of those. So. Yeah. Um, and and the, there are a few things that I found pretty upsetting yeah. about this movie. Uh, one thing that bothered me was the sloppy integration of Kate and Bevis's plotline. Um, the book, the books follow them and Tom and Hester pretty equally because they're two sides of the same coin. Um, Tom is unlearning what he's been taught from outside the city, and Kate is exposing the nasty things behind the curtain from the inside. Um, and that allows for dramatic irony. Kate can uncover something, and then in the next chapter, we can see how not having that information affects Tom in real time. But instead of taking that and doing something interesting with it, the movie started on Kate and Bevis's story and then was like, nah, it's sloppy. Like, if you're not going to see it through, why are you even doing it? Why are you even doing it? Why include it if you're not going to see that through? The other thing, we've talked about this, this is the big one, is that the movie largely ignores the themes of the book. Um, The book has a lot to say about how we treat each other, um, how we treat the environment in the name of progress and putting ourselves first, um, as well as how bad we are at learning from history. I would say that the book has slightly fewer like specific things to say about colonialism, but there's definitely an anti-colonial message within the book. 
And I, I feel like the movie pays a small amount of lip service to these ideas, to the ideas of anti-colonialism, environmentalism, learning from history, but it's all just surface level. And the themes about how we treat each other really get lost. Um, the movie doesn't show how London operates and how truly awful it is, nor does it show the similarities between those who are doing municipal Darwinism, quote unquote, wrong, the pirates and scavengers, and those who are doing it, quote, right. All of that is completely lost. There's no commentary on it. Um, so to sum it up, the book told a cool story while also saying some really important stuff, and the movie looked cool. There you go. That's your final verdict for Mortal Engines. The book was better. Katie, as always, our lovely listeners can support us on patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. For two, five, or fifteen dollars a month, you—I think those are, the, yeah, those are the levels. Uh, you could at two dollars, you get access to early access and an ad-free version of the show. We don't have ads yet, but we may one day. At five dollars, you get access to our bonus material, bonus content when we do movie reviews and all that sort of good stuff, and you get early access and all that stuff. And at the fifteen-dollar level, you're our Academy Award-winning level patron, which means you get uh, a whole bevy of the the things before but you also get priority access to recommendations which is why we're doing this book why we talked about mortal engines one of our newest academy award winner patrons shelby suderman super fan of the show recommended mortal engines and so we did it so if you really have something you would love to hear us talk about go over to patreon.com slash film is lit support us for 15 bucks a month and we will move your recommendation up towards the top of the list. We can't uh, we can't guarantee that we'll get to it right away, but we'll try to get to it as soon as possible. I think we just got another recommendation from one of our $15 patrons like a couple days ago. So we'll need to look into that one. Uh, but uh, and also try to limit it to books that are that are movies and not TV shows or, you know, that sort of thing or like whole comic series or that, you know. Mm -hmm. Try to make it one book and one movie, or if you have a series of books that were turned into a series of movie, we can see about it. But head on over to Patreon and do that. That would be fantastic. Also, if you can't support us on Patreon, that's just fine. We still love you. You could do us another big favor by going to iTunes and giving us a five-star rating and a review. That stuff's super helpful, and we love when you do that. Also, you can follow us on Facebook, Goodreads, Instagram, Twitter, and we have a subreddit. I think that's all the social media. Katie, what is our next project? So up next, um, we are going to foray away from young adult and children's fantasy where we've been hanging out for a while. Yep. We're going to do something that I am really excited about. Okie dokie. We're going to do Legally Blonde. Oh my goodness. That's a book? That's a book. This happens every week. <laughs> That's a book. Interesting. I've actually never seen Legally Blonde. Really? No, I've seen I, I've seen like you know bits here and mm -hmm. there on TV, but I've never like watched all of the movie. So I'm interested to see how I like it. I'm interested to see how the book compares. <laughs> yeah, that should be fun. So if you come back in two weeks' time, we'll be talking about Legally Blonde. In the meantime, you can come back in one week's time. And we'll do our preview episode for Legally Blonde. We'll have our fan follow-up polls for Mortal Engines, where you can make your voice heard by going to our, our social media, like I mentioned earlier. We'll have polls where you can leave feedback, vote for which one you liked more, the book or the movie, tell us why, and we'll read those comments on our preview, prequel episode uh, next Tuesday. And until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.